Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, or the woman, likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joey. Good morning again. Um, it's been uh, really got yesterday um, to spend time with that Foothill team. Um, it's, it's a real blessing. Um, those, those times I kind of go away, kind of uh, invigorated a wee bit for the life of our church, um, uh, but also just kind of longing for heaven. You forget that? Like, come Lord Jesus, and um, I can't wait for that, that day when we're not separated by an ocean, and, and that, that one church that we are uh, is, is together forever. So, um, can't wait for that. Um, I'm excited for that. In the meantime, um, we have work to do. We, we have a mission that Jesus has sent us on, uh, the, this, this mission to uh, share his gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, his, his main uh, way that we're going to do that is the local church. Um, and so it's really important that those local churches are uh, operating and ordered in the correct way. Uh, and that's why we're looking at deacons. So part two of deacons this morning. Um, let me just say, if you missed last week, um, I just encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, uh, I'll give a, a, a tiny recap this morning, but you need to go back and listen to that if, if you want to grasp the entire sense of the, uh, the role of the deacons. Um, so please do that if you missed that. Uh, let me pray for us one more time and we'll dig in and see what the Bible says about uh, the role in the office of the deacon. Um, uh, we, we just want to say thank you again, uh, like we already have this morning, Lord, for, for loving us. Uh, we thank you for uh, calling us, uh, for dying for us, for making us your, your chosen people, your, your treasured possession, uh, your family. And um, we thank you for the church, uh, Jesus. We thank you for, for our local expression of the church uh, here at Village. Um, may we glorify you, Lord. And we thank you for your word, again, that, that is this lamp into our path that shows us the way, and this, this word that you, God, breathed out. Um, Holy Spirit, um, apply that word to our lives this morning. Um, empower us. Holy Spirit, teach us. Um, all the, uh, the things that only you can do truly. We pray you do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we, we began last week by unpacking how the Bible shows us this deep, deep importance uh, for the local church to have a biblical church leadership. Um, let me just remind you of those three biblical truths that we, uh, we kind of laid as this foundation uh, for even being able to think about uh, church leadership structures. Um, there's kind of three uh, foundational truths are, firstly, Jesus is the head of the church. 
He, he is the chief shepherd. Jesus leads this church. He rules over this church. He, he builds and he, he build, uh, leads his, his body. Uh, he is our head. We are his body being built up in him. Uh, the second truth is the church is, is not a human idea. Uh, the, the church is God's idea. We are chosen in him before the foundations of the world. Uh, it, it's his plan uh, that he made in eternity's past in order to make the, uh, the riches of his glory known uh, to the rest of the world. Uh, and thirdly, uh, the third foundational, foundational truth is that uh, because it's his plan, it's his idea, he is the head over the church, uh, the order of the church uh, is also not based on human wisdom and ideas. Uh, the order, the structure, the, the way we're meant to, to function is actually given to us by God in his holy scriptures. And that's the point of these two weeks that we're spending uh, looking at deacons. The point of these two weeks is to open our Bibles um, and, and to receive uh, God's instructions for how we are to order our church and just how beautiful uh, and necessary uh, that order is. Um, last week, I kind of gave you that, that brief overview, brief overview of those two biblical offices that you see in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, uh, and then throughout the book of Acts and the epistles, those offices are the overseers, the elders, uh, and, the, and the deacons. Um, the, the, the elders are called to, to shepherd the flock of God. Uh, the, they oversee the family. They teach. They lead. They shepherd. Uh, kind of fill that fatherly role in these local expressions of God's family. Uh, that's the kind of first office that's, that's established in the New Testament, that overseer role. Uh, and then the church family is given deacons. Uh, and that, that word deacon, the Greek word diakonos, is, literally means to serve, um, which, which again isn't some uh, kind of lesser than role in God's kingdom. Jesus actually is a deacon himself. He calls all of us to be deacons. Jesus comes and he says, I came not to be served, but to serve. I came not to be deaconed, but to deacon. Um, Jesus comes and he, he actually elevates the role of the servant. Uh, it's, it's the greatest that are among you, Jesus says, will be your deacon. If you want to be first in my kingdom, you must be last of all and deacon of all. Um, what a glorious, beautiful, important role in God's kingdom. And, and, and we looked at the, the pattern of churches being, the, the, well, the first church being planted in, in the first six chapters of Acts um, that's the very first church that was planted. Uh, remember, the Holy Spirit uh, descends on that body of believers, it indwells them. They are empowered. Uh, the gospel uh, uh, message is then preached powerfully. Uh, many are saved. <laughs> uh, the apostles, those, those overseers in that sense, lead that church. The church is devoted to their, uh, their teaching, their leading, the, the fellowship that they are guiding them into, the breaking of the bread, the prayers, that, that great unity in that first church family. Uh, then opposition arises. Satan tries to kill that first church through external persecution. Uh, that doesn't work. Through internal moral corruption, that doesn't work. So then he, he, he tries to destroy this church in Acts 6 by distracting them, particularly distracting those overseers. Um, and that's where we saw in Acts 6 the, the birth of this prototype deacon role. Um, in Acts 6, that uh, a complaint arises, as they do in the church. This, this, this crack begins to form in their, in their church unity. Uh, remember, the, the Greek-speaking believers were complaining that their widows were maybe being neglected uh, in the daily distribution of the bread. And so what the overseers do is they, they delegate the solution to this problem to uh, seven people. And, and they, they raise up these seven deacons in that way to take on this problem and to solve it. 
Um, they, they didn't delegate it because it was some lesser, uh, role, re, lesser problem that they couldn't be bothered in, in dealing with. It's the opposite, actually. They, they, they delegated this. They, they established this incredibly important role because it was so important. They delegated that. They raised up these seven people who filled that first kind of prototype role of deacon, that they would solve the problem for these widows' needs. Um, but, but also, so there's two things happening there. They're, they're, they're paying attention. They're solving this problem. But also what, in, in their doing that, they are actually uh, defending the, the, the ministry of the word. Uh, because the, the, the overseers are, are being stretched, aren't they? Their attention is being taken in, in various different ways. Um, so those overseers uh, come and they, they relieve that burden. They, they, they see to that tangible physical need because the overseers can't do it all. The overseers are not meant to do it all. Um, so these deacons, they, they are appointed to care for this issue. They are problem solvers that, that are fixing this tangible need um, so that the overseers can continue to focus on one of their main uh, priorities, is, which is the ministry of the, of the Word. And in verse 7 of Acts 6, you see the result, that the church is happy that they are, they are united again because the issue is taken seriously. The church's unity is restored. But also, another result is the word continued to increase. Um, let me read you again. I think, no, I didn't have any slides. This is the, the kind of summary uh, of deacons given by uh, Matt Smethurst. He says, deacons, when rightly understood and deployed, are an irreplaceable gift to Christ's church. They are model servants who excel in being attentive and responsive to tangible needs in the life of the church. In what ways do they do this? In what ways do they serve? By assisting the elders, guarding the ministry of the word, organizing service, caring for the needy, preserving church unity, mobilizing ministry, and more. So what we get from that Act 6 is the essence of that serving role. The role is different from the overseers, but it's, it's necessary. And, and from that, that pattern of the churches being planted and, and growing in Acts 6 and, and then through the apostles, remember you, we see that you can't have a church without biblical overseers, but you can't have this growing, thriving, healthy church for very long without deacons to serve the physical, tangible needs of the church. So the, the three kind of things we pull from Acts 6 about this role of the deacons is they, they, they're problem solvers in that physical, tangible way. They protect the ministry of the word so they can continue to go forth. And they are church unity preservers. So hopefully that gives you a sense of the, the role and the office of, of the deacon. They are assisting the elders with the tangible physical needs of the church, protecting the ministry of the word and prayer, and preserving church unity. And so this morning, what we want to do is, is, is at, the, at the end, we'll, we'll give a brief look of what this will actually look like for our church in, in, in Village in 2022. But before that, I want to spend most of our time this morning not looking at what the, uh, what the deacons might do, we want to look at something even more important, and it's what the deacons must be. And this is the most important part uh, in deciding who might fill uh, the office of the deacon. But it's also the thing that we tend to get, it's, it's easily to get this backwards. Uh, because I think it's because the nature of the deacon's role is, is serving kind of tangible needs, is, is, is serving those kind of practical ways. And so we're tempted to look first to the, the kind of tangible gifts, the, the skills that they might have. 
But nowhere we'll see today when, when Paul's talking about the deacons, does he even really mention their gifting, their skill? He is primarily concerned not with what the elders must do, but what the deacons must do, but what the deacons must be. What the deacons must be. And that's, that was actually the case in Acts 6 too, remember? So the apostles, they, their first concern is with the character of the seven who will be chosen. They, they don't say, hey, choose, choose the seven who you think would be good at, at serving tables and, and who you think might have the skills to do that. Get a Gareth or a Nick. They, they do hospitality. Maybe deploy them in that way. That's not what they say at all. What do they say? They say, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Our first concern, Paul's first concern, must be uh, to look at the, the character of these people when we're raising up deacons. And that's what the Apostle Paul lays out for us in 1 Timothy 3. Um, first, he gives the, the qualifications of the overseers in that text, and then he gives the qualifications for the deacons. Let me read those qualifications again, starting in verse 8, 1 Timothy 3. It says, deacons likewise, so that likewise, he's, he's, he's just talked about the qualifications of the elders, and he says, in the same kind of way, deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives or the women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus." So that's what Paul says we should be primarily concerned with uh, when choosing deacons. Notice his relative disinterest in their skills and in their, in their giftings. Uh, this paragraph, it's not about a skill set. Its focus is squarely on what the deacons must be. Um, and so Paul gives these character qualifications. Some of them are, are kind of put in the negative, make sure they're not like this. Some of them are put in the positive, make sure they are like this. Um, but the, the first one there, it seems to fly like a banner over all of the rest of them. Uh, the, the deacons must be dignified. The NIV says they must be worthy of respect. That doesn't mean they must be perfect. Um, it, it signifies that they should be humble that they should be repentant, that they should be exemplars uh, in, to, to the flock. That's, Paul says, who you are looking for. And so, what, is it, what does it look like to be dignified? What does it look practically uh, to, to be worthy of respect? Well, the rest of the paragraph gives us and, and shows us examples, and we're just going to make our way through them. Uh, the first one, he says, is uh, they must not be double-tongued. Um, so, qualified deacons, they strive to control their tongues. And the Bible has a lot to say, doesn't it, about the danger of an untamed tongue? James 6, uh, 3, 6 says the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. And Paul speaks uh, to the importance of deacons having their tongues under control. Um, here's why I think he opens with this one. 
Uh, remember what the deacons do. They're, they're generally serving the, the physical needs of the church. They're, they're solving problems uh, in the church in that way, physical problems, which means that they're going to be working in and amongst and alongside the flock very often. And, and who makes up the flock? Us. We, a, a group of sinners. <laughs> uh, and not everyone in the church family is at the same levels of maturity, the, the same kind of journey of sanctification, right? Uh, not, not everyone has kind of grown in the same way. The flock is messy. I think that's why he uses this analogy of a flock of sheep. It's, it's messy. Um, and, and so the deacons, in, in their, their countless interactions with the flock, they will be confronted with people who are struggling, with people who, 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 are, who are suffering, who are hurting. And so you can imagine many of them might be disgruntled. Many of them might be prone to complaining. There will be issues, and some people, like the Hellenist in Acts chapter 6, are going to be bringing complaints. That, that's what happens. And remember the role of the deacons. They must be problem solvers. They, they, they protect the ministry of the Word, but lastly, they do what? They preserve church unity. That, that's, that's part of their role. And so, in dealing with these possible complaints, that the deacons must be compassionate to these people and understanding, while at the same time, vigilantly remaining on guard. They're meant to bring healing. They're meant to bring unity to the church family, not make matters worse. One writer calls the deacons shock absorbers in the church. So, so as, as possible tensions might arise in the church family, the deacons are there to, to actually calm those tensions down, to actually absorb those shock waves, not stir things up even more. And a huge part of that will come from them having wisdom in what they say and very often what they do not say. Deacons who are fulfilling the biblical role will guard their tongues possibly from disclosing information that the person they're serving doesn't need to know or maybe shouldn't know. And maybe, maybe there's, there might be a time when a deacon actually maybe even resonates with that complaint. They, they, they actually might be like, yeah, that is a complaint. But a double-tongued person would say, yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a bit of a problem. That, that, those leaders can possibly be like that. That's a, hey, that's a struggle even for us deacons. That, that's being double-tongued. That, that's having one conversation with one person that you're probably not having with another. That's not wisely uh, absorbing those shockwaves of disunity. It's actually making them a little bit bigger. Biblical deacons, they, they also guard their ears from being party to, to gossip and slander. Of, of church members and, and fellow leaders. And this is, this is a, a destructive one. And the, the deacon who says, oh, really? Yeah, I heard they can be like that. I, I'm definitely going to keep my distance now. Wow. Brothers and sisters, we need a James 3 wisdom that comes down from above when, we are, when it comes to bearing with one another's burdens. We can often think we're bearing with someone's burdens, sharing in the difficult things in life when possibly we're just gossiping. A deacon must have that heavenly wisdom to know how to be compassionate and understanding to a hurting person, but to not engage in hearsay, not engage in gossip and slander. A double tongue can be a destructive fire. 
A biblical deacon will guard their tongue from gossip and slander as they recount conversations and, and information to others. How difficult is it after hearing something sensitive and maybe something juicy not to pass that along? It's incredibly difficult. Perhaps we even uh, kind of disguise it as a, as a prayer. Hey, we need to pray for that guy because you know what? They're dealing with X, Y, and Z. Matt Smethers wrote, being double-tongued is not a minor flaw. It's not a personality quirk. It's a symptom of hypocritical pride. It's consciously saying one thing to one group and then saying or even insinuating something else to a different group. A double tongue indicates fear of man, and a deacon driven by fear of man can destroy a whole church. A biblical deacon must not be double-tongued. They must have heavenly wisdom in their speech. Secondly, Paul says they, they must not be addicted to much wine. I love how Paul puts it. Addicted to a little bit of wine, but not much. Um, that's, that's not what he means. Um, there's this, so he says deacons must be self-controlled in their speech. They also should be self-controlled in their appetites. So he's, he's obviously prohibiting excessive alcohol consumption, uh, but this also challenges anything that will enslave a deacon's heart, that, that will uh, impair their judgment or, or hinder their work or their witness. Um, thirdly, he says they must, must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Um, so notice that the theme of these first three is, is self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says that, that, that is very important to the deacon Control in their speech, control in their appetite, and here, control in their wallets, or what they put in their wallets. And I'm assuming uh, Paul puts this in here uh, because they could possibly be dealing with finances, church finances. In Acts 6, they were dealing with uh, the distribution of tangible things to those in need. So he says, make sure these people are not obsessed with gain. Is there, is there any hint of deception? Are, are, is this person maybe okay with, with cutting moral corners? Are they obsessed with money? Are they always talking about getting more money? Is it wrong to be financially prudent and, and, and astute? No. But Paul's saying, make sure you don't have someone who struggles with greed and financial gain serving your church in this official capacity. They should be self-controlled in this area. They should be unimpeachable in this way. Those are the negative requirements that Paul gives for deacons. He then turns his attention to some positive ones. He says, make sure they hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So Paul's saying, just because these people are primarily focused on, on physical, tangible needs of the body, it doesn't mean they shouldn't know their Bibles. And so we can't, we, we tend to want to separate things out, right? The, the, the elders just do all the spiritual work, and the deacons just deal with all the, the physical stuff. That's, that's not what we're saying here. Everything we do is spiritual, isn't it? So although it's true that uh, the primary responsibility for teaching and governing falls to the elders, although it's true that the, the main difference between the elders' qualifications and the deacons' qualifications is that Paul only requires elders to be able to teach, that doesn't mean that deacons are exempt from knowing their Bibles. So a deacon will 
you can imagine they'll, they'll, they'll probably be often in a situation where they'll, they'll have the opportunity to, to, to speak biblical truth into a situation. The question is not whether deacons will be theologians, it's whether they will be good ones. The deacon must hold the faith with a clear conscience. They should be ready to share that faith like all of us should be uh, in uh, uh, the, the, the hope that we have in Jesus. They, they should be able and ready to apply that faith and apply that doctrine to their diaconal duties. They must know the faith. They must hold the faith. They must live the faith. Um, please don't think this is some lofty requirement. Like, oh, that weeds it out very... These, these are very normal, ordinary requirements. This, these are descriptions, not of some super-Christians. This is the call for all of us. Even, even those, those, those overseer qualifications, those are the character traits that all followers of Christ should, be, should have. Paul's just saying, make sure your deacons are those kinds of disciples. They should know their Bibles, and apply it to their lives. Um, keep going in verse 10. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Don't get hung up on that word blameless again. He's not saying they, they have to be perfect. Um, if that's what we're looking for, we're going to be looking for a long time. Uh, we're going to be getting rid of our elders, and that's, that's not the requirement is perfection. It's rather someone who is humble, repentant, not, not living in open, blatant sin. Uh, but the main point to this one is, is to make sure you test them before you make them a deacon. That they need to be tested so that they can prove themselves qualified in these ways. How many times have you maybe been a part of a church or heard about a church who is harmed by a deacon or an elder who never had any business in being one in the first place? Um, make sure you have some kind of way to test these people, Paul says. Um, notice he doesn't give us any more instructions than that. He, he, he seems to just leave it up to each individual church to, to figure out the best way to test and to prove their deacon candidates. Um, seems to be up to the, the, each church, but what is non-negotiable is that there must be a season of testing. Um, we do that with our, when we're appointing elders. You've experienced that already. It'll probably look something similar for when we're appointing deacons at Village. That process usually is presenting a person or, or a, a number of persons as a deacon candidate before the church. Uh, that person will go through a series, a season of testing and training. We'll ask the, the church to have this season of praying for that person, asking for, for feedback from the church on that person as they, as they look to them and, and see and look at those for those qualifications in their lives. Are there good reasons that that you think the church person would be fit for that, or the reasons you think there should not be. And then after that, we'll lay hands on that person and appoint them if they have kind of gone through that tested period and, and proved themselves uh, qualified. Paul just says, make sure you test them. Make sure they prove themselves to be qualified. This is for the, the protection of the precious body of Christ. That brings us to verse 11. So far, pretty straightforward, Right? Pretty easy to understand. Well, uh, unfortunately, not every bit of Scripture is so straightforward and so easy. Um, and one example is verse 11, which we have to admit gets a little tricky to translate. Um, remember, the Bible's not written in English. Um, it's written in, in ancient Greek here, which isn't easy to translate into English. Uh, you, you will not find a single Bible in, uh, translator who will say that 
1 Timothy 3.11 is, is easy to translate. It's a difficult one. And the reason it's difficult text to render into English is because of the Greek word at the beginning there, gynekos, which in the Greek, it's the same word for either woman or wife. Um, there's only one Greek word for both of those words. Um, uh, and, and so this text can either be read as the wives as in the wives of the deacons likewise must be, or it can be read the women, as in the women deacons must be. And so the proper translation, the proper uh, decision for which word to use is, is purely contextual. It's to figure it out in the context. And I dug through, I think, all of the English translations, dozens and dozens of them. It's a 50-50 split. It's a coin flip of, as, to, as to what people tend to, to uh, translate that as. Um, it's not black and white. Some, some passages are very easy uh, to, to translate. This is not one of them. Uh, I, have, I have read uh, the arguments. I've read decent arguments on why it should be uh, possibly read as the wives. And I've read lots of decent arguments for why the text should be read as the women. Um, as usual... We approach God's Word with humility, right? We approach it not with our agenda, not with what I want it to, to, uh, to be read as, uh, but to receive and to submit to His instructions. Um, saying that, after doing lots of study and prayer, uh, I think the better way to translate that is the women, as in the women deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Um, let me quickly give, quickly give you a uh, the main reasons for landing there. Uh, we don't have time to get too geeky, too kind of academic. And I want to keep our, our focus on the character qualifications, but I think this is important, so let me uh, kind of give it to you briefly. A uh, few reasons for supporting women deacons in this text. Uh, firstly, because you have examples uh, of, of women deacons in the New Testament. Um, we don't have any examples of women overseers. That role seems to be reserved for qualified men, this kind of fatherly role. But you do see at least one woman deacon uh, mentioned in, in Romans 16, where, where Paul commends Phoebe to that church. He says, uh, I commend you Phoebe, a, a deacon of the church of Centre. She's then followed by this list of numerous women who, who Paul commends for their hard work, for, for being fellow workers alongside him. So there's, there, there's an example, Phoebe, who's a female deacon of a specific church. Um, another reason uh, is that word likewise in, in 1 Timothy 3.11, which seems to parallel verse 8, and it's followed by being dignified. So, so the NIV renders that as in the same way. So it, it echoes verse 8 that suggests Paul is still discussing deacons there and that the women must serve just as the men do. Um, another reason which uh, we have to admit is, is kind of extra biblical, so it doesn't hold the same kind of weight and authority. Uh, but another reason is because there are plenty of, of women deacons, uh, deaconesses throughout church history in, in faithful Orthodox churches. So all the way from uh, kind of early churches uh, spanning all the way to Charles Spurgeon who commends women deacons. I, it's, it doesn't hold the same scriptural weight, but I think it's important and I think it's uh, significant. Um, and lastly, and I think most convincingly for me, is the fact that Paul doesn't give any qualification for the overseer's wives. Why would he give qualifications for deacons' wives and not for elders' wives? So, if you consider the importance 
that we looked at last week of the, of the elder's role, of that overseer's role, it doesn't make much sense for, for, for the deacons to be held to a higher standard than the overseers. There's a few reasons. Um, even in those reasons, we must admit it's, it's, an, it's not an easy text. Um, even Peter in, in 2 Timothy 3 says, Paul can be difficult to understand, and maybe this is one of those scenarios. But I, I believe the best way for that verse to be translated is, the women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things, which shows us alongside other texts that that office of deacon is, is open to both qualified, which is the main thing, uh, men and women. I believe that's God's good intention uh, that's designed for the flourishing of everyone, uh, women and men within the household of God. So if that household, if, this, if the church is meant to, to be a family, and we now relate to each other, as Paul says, in those familial ways, brothers and sisters, that mothers and fatherly roles within the family, I think it's important for both men and women to, to serve and to lead within their roles and giftings according to God's good design and order of, of His church. So he seems to have that uh, specific word for the women, and then in verse 12, he gets a specific word for the men, and in that we see his final requirement, which is to look at their family life. So similarly to the overseer's qualification in verse 4, he includes that the men should be the husband of one wife. So again, you have that Greek problem where that word wife and woman is the same. The word for husband and man is the same. So, so literally, he's saying, make sure the men are one woman men. Make sure that if they are married, which I believe this, this isn't a command that they must be married. So similarly to the elders, you, you see single leaders uh, in the church. But if they are married, may they be faithful in that relationship a one-woman man, and again, they're managing their household well. So that means their godliness, it doesn't extend to their closest relationships. It actually begins with their closest relationships. Look for a faithful family life. And then lastly, in verse 13, Paul ends with a really comforting and encouraging promise. This is really special. Paul knows that the deaconing is not for the faint of heart. Uh, deaconing, in much of their work, will be hidden. Much of their work is, is behind the scenes, and that, that sometimes even thankless work at times. So what must keep a deacon going amidst possible exhaustion and discouragement? Well, a promise in verse 13. He says, for those who serve well as deacons will gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. Simply put, deacons will receive two gifts in their increasing measure, respect and honor and boldness. Uh, the first one is this horizontal gift. Uh, the, the, the good deacon will receive respect. It will receive honor amongst their brothers and sisters, which, which is a good thing. Uh, Paul says we should outdo one another in showing honor. And he says a deacon who serves well will receive that good gift. It's great. The, the second gift is a vertical one. They gain confidence. They gain boldness in their faith in Jesus. What a precious gift. Like, don't we all desire and want that gift? And Paul says that's exactly what's promised for the deacon who serves well. Um, that promise, you see how it mirrors what Paul says in Galatians 6, 9? He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
Um, it's this call for perseverance, uh, for, for striving for that reward at the end for those serving deacons. And that's it. That's all Paul says um, uh, uh, about what these deacons must be. And um, we want to take this seriously. And our first priority must not be the gifting and the skills of certain people, although that's important, <laughs> that, that will come into play. Um, but our primary consideration when raising up deacons is their character. It's not what they might be able to do, but who they are. Paul says, make sure these are the kinds of people, faithful brothers and sisters that are dignified, that are worthy of respect, that are, that are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, that are, that are blessed with heavenly wisdom that actually unites the church rather than stirs up more problems. And this is the point of this morning. Um, as we're working towards raising up officially and kind of deploying deacons uh, in the coming future, uh, I want this to be on the forefront of your minds above all. I want this to be the text that our church is reading and has on their hearts. These qualifications, these are the, the, uh, what you're looking for in, in brothers and sisters who might serve in some of these uh, serving roles. Look first to their character. Um, I hope that's kind of given you it's kind of two weeks, fast-paced, but it could have a good solid starting point for us, uh, a, a firm grasp of what the Bible uh, says about the office of the deacon, what it is, what's the point of it, and these, these formal assistants to the elders deployed to serve tangible needs of the church, problem solvers, ministry of the word, protectors, defenders of church unity. And, but I also hope you've given a firm grasp of what they must be, the character that they must have, and the importance and the beauty of it all. And so, just to kind of finish, uh, the question is, well, then what does that look like for us? What does it look like for us to, to raise up and, and deploy some deacons uh, in village in 2022? Um, like I said last week, we have those four passages that we've looked at. Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy 3, Philippians 1, 1, and that brief mention of, of Phoebe in, in Romans 16. Other than that, we're not told anything else about the deacons. It, we're, we're given a lot of instructions about the overseers, the elders, a lot of action from them. But, but other than those four passages, it seems to be up to each church to uh, deploy deacons in whatever wise way uh, that they need. Um, which I think, again, that kind of supports that, that what I said last week, that you can't have biblical, a biblical church without overseers. Uh, th those elders who lead, those teach and shepherd are, are a necessity. But then... As the church explodes, as the church uh, begins to, to cover the, the world, as more churches are planted in different cultures, in different settings, uh, th there's going to be specific needs in those churches that, that, that vary wildly depending on the specific context, the specific congregation. So the deacons who serve intangible needs uh, of the church will be deployed in a plethora of, of different ways as well. So the Bible gives us, I think, enough to show us what the role is, who they must be, and then we're given freedom to wisely figure out uh, for our specific church. And so the, the question is, what are our tangible needs? Where are those points where it'd be helpful to, to, to have uh, official uh, uh, helpers and servers in, in certain ways? Um, the principle that we can pull out of Acts 6 
is, is the example seems to be deacons are deployed when and where the need arises. When and where the need arises, um, deacons are, are helpful and useful. So, uh, in the life of the church, think of it in two kind of ways. That there are needs, there are issues that are kind of ongoing that, that might be really helpful to have uh, some, some formal assistance uh, to, to, to share the workload and, and to, uh, to kind of serve and coordinate. Um, we've mentioned a couple lately. Um, one that I can think of is, is finances. So our church has, has grown. We have two congregations. We're, we're about to send uh, some more people over, over to West Belfast. Um, uh, we, we, have, we have the generosity of our people that we've been praying for has kind of risen up. So there's more complexity uh, to our finances. Um, so I, it'd be really helpful to have some, uh, so maybe, maybe a deacon or probably a, a team of, of deacons to, to kind of help the elders uh, uh, do that. As you know, how it's worked is the elders present a financial plan. We'll, we'll experience that at our next uh, members meeting. Um, they kind of put that together, put that before the church, ask the church to kind of vote to approve that. So there's that, there is an oversight uh, that, the, that the elders have over that stuff. But then there's a lot of day-to-day work. There's a lot of upkeep to that budget. There's, there's a lot of thought that needs to go through into processes and policies and, and accounting work, etc. And And that I know from experience, takes more and more time and energy away from the ministry of the Word and, and prayer. So um, that's one area that it's going to be good and appropriate to have uh, a deacon or a small team of deacons to assist in that area. Um, another area is, is women's ministry. We've talked about that a lot. Um, this is a specific need for our church. Um, uh, we'd love to deploy some deacons to, to help care and, and help with the ministry of our women specifically. Um, so there's those kind of ongoing needs uh, that, that will, as we grow, there will be more of those and, and become more complex and, and need some deacons for. Um, but, but then there's, some, there's examples of some specific kind of temporary needs where you can deploy uh, like a special task force of deacons to solve a problem. Um, one great example that you all kind of see is, is our building project. Um, that's, we've kind of done that in an unofficial way. If that all happened after this, we probably have done that in an, in an official way. But that, that's a, a, a big project that our elders kind of casted the vision for, kind of got off the ground. And then it got to a certain point where, A, it's, it's, it's stretching us. It's taking away from some elderly elder duties. But then also that it's, it's just the ball's getting dropped and there's, it's, it's not getting done properly. So delegation happened. And, and we... Uh, put together a, a small team of, of, uh, of, of good character, qualified, skillful people to help that, uh, to kind of take that and get it across the line. Um, that's, a, that's an example of that kind of special need. And once that need's not there, you can dissolve that team and, and there, it's no longer needed. What other needs do you have? So there's that ongoing need and then there's the, the kind of special task force deacon team uh, that you can deploy in that way. Um, so it's when and where needs arise. Some needs are ongoing. Some needs are temporary. Um, does that kind of make sense? Um, as far as what you can expect as a time frame for all of this, I know that might be in your head. Um, we probably won't be presenting to you just a, a big plethora of deacons to kind of deploy uh, at our next members meeting or anything like that. Um, we'll probably just, the plan will be address needs in their most priority. Um, 
in my mind, we haven't had lots of uh, discussions, but probably those two that I mentioned, um, kind of finance, some women's ministry, and then uh, you kind of see where we go from there. We don't want to rush unwisely into just deploying a bunch of deacons, but we also don't want to drag our feet unnecessarily on it. So we want to ask for guidance in all things. Um, we want to ask for, for wisdom. Um, Lord, show us the way forward. Uh, Holy Spirit, lead us. Um, that has been our prayer from the day one. A village, Lord, show us the way. Um, keep, us, keep us within your will. Um, impose your timing upon us. Those are common prayers for us. And uh, you can look back and see he's, he's met our need every, every step of the way. Um, he, he has never let us down, and, and we have no reason to think that will stop. So um, I'm excited for that. Church is class, isn't it? it what, a, what a privilege it is uh, to be part of Christ's church, to be part of his family. It's messy, um, especially as you grow, uh, but it's beautiful and it's necessary. As I said, this is his, his tool for gospel ministry for, for the great commission to go forth, his, his word to, to spread forth. So um, uh, those qualifications, again, just put those on your mind. Why? Like, why not just have the most skillful person? That's, that's what we do with the rest of um, jobs and things like that. Why, why focus squarely on, on their character? Go back to what is the church? What was the point of the church is to, is to show the world who Jesus is and to glorify him. And so you can't read those qualifications and not see Jesus. You can't, you can't read those and, and not be like, that person is like Jesus. And that's who we want leading and, and serving in our church for his glory, for our joy, for the building up of our church. Um, come, Lord Jesus. We have work to do. Um, hopefully that gives you a good kind of understanding of, of kind of what we're doing and where we're going. Any other questions, you can uh, kind of fire us an email and, and we'll be uh, happy to kind of meet up and, and keep going. And then more, more to come. So if you stand with me and we'll pray.